So Jared, do you want to sell ownership stock in the press box? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think twelve dollars, you know, ten dollars plus a two dollar handling fee. Uh, we'll get a we'll get MS Paint going, and uh, you know, you print it out yourself, and you'll yeah. be a proud owner. Gift cards, Starbucks, and Chifkalay. That's a lot of no, money. No, no, yeah. that's something an actual tangible. That, yeah. According to thepackers.com, you are not protected when you buy these stocks under any security laws. Right. Yeah, yeah. we're just sending them a, a PDF. Well, I'm not even, it's just going to be a JPEG. It's not going to be a PDF. You're just getting a JPEG <laughs> from me. That's it. And, Ed, we might accidentally have to trade you uh, for, like, a water bottle. I've already got a water bottle. It's a nice one. I've got it here every day. Your name's it's, on it. My name's on it. It's a, a nice, a, a nice gift from the mm-hmm. uh, from the company here. All right, it's beautiful. The Rams have tried to trade Matt Stafford. That is according to Michael Lombardi, who was on the Pat McAfee show. He has nearly sixty million in guaranteed money that is owed to him. That's actual cash. And according to Michael Lombardi, no one would trade for him because they don't want to take on Stafford, who's coming off an injury, and then have to pay him sixty million dollars, even if he never plays again however sean mcveigh yesterday said that stafford is a foundation of their team the quote he used was uh load-bearing walls he called cooper cup aaron donald and matt stafford load-bearing walls so you don't knock them down when you're trying to see the kitchen apparently (laughs) uh so i my here's my big takeaway from this the rams were incredibly lucky the way they built their team to win the Super Bowl was horrible. What, giving away all the picks? Tra- giving away every pick, going all in on guys who didn't have multiple years left of being really good players. And set they set themselves up for a, we've got a one or two year window to be, not win the Super Bowl, to be good. And they cashed in with the Super Bowl. It worked, but horrible method to do so. Well, how long does the Super Bowl last in terms of, uh, hey, we did it? I mean, it's, a long, it's not, it's it does a long, a long time. time. Right, a long, a long time. time. But, like, if if 10 teams tried to replicate that, I don't think any of them would win no. the Super Bowl. Like, it was, it was such a everything has to go perfectly right for one year. And it and did. And it did. And they got there. And, like, lucky for them, they got to play the Bengals in the Super Bowl, not the Chiefs or the Bills. Chiefs or the Bills probably beat them in the Super Bowl that year. But they got to play the Bengals, and they won. And not to discount it, but just from a... We always talk about, like, copycat league and, you know, the team that wins. How do you copy what they did? You can't. You can't, you can't copy this. It would take, a, it would take No years. one wants to. Right. That's <laughs> unsustainable, and, and we're seeing that. too long anyway. Right. And now it's, oh, uh, their quarterback is potential. And is he healthy? Nobody... Uh, I don't have any idea. He, how many games does he play next year? And even if he does... He's not that great. He's fine. He's better than Baker Mayfield and whoever that other random guy is they kept using a quarterback last year. But unless you're the Raiders in the final minute, then Baker Mayfield's the then, then he's the best. greatest quarterback of all time. God, what a drive. I cannot believe that. They lost to Jeff Saturday and Baker Mayfield, who got the playbook like a day before. On the plane. Yeah, that's a pretty detailed question. <laughs> I think uh, he got it on the plane. He did. This is my favorite story from yesterday. The AAC commissioner, Mike Oresco, does not want people to use the terms power five and group of five. And he put out a statement about how they shouldn't use this, how it's uh, basically he didn't use this word, but basically it's degrading. For there to be a power five and a group of five. And I'm sure the power five were lining up saying, "Uh uh-oh, Mike Oresco's talking again. We better listen. The reason this is the best story yesterday 
is that in 2017, Mike Oresco and the AAC came up with a new slogan. Power, power six. Power six. Because they thought that they were good enough. Six years ago, he was all on board there being a power group of conferences and a, and group. a group of conferences. And he, he was, was desperate to, to get the power convince six. people he was in the power group. Right. And six years later, when he realizes, well, that failed, nobody thinks we're any good, he's like, we shouldn't use those terms right. anymore. Those terms are degrading. We can't do that. <laughs> like, dude, you just tried to do no, that no six years ago. No one's listening to Mike Oresco. My favorite story of the day. And somebody who has completely changed their opinion because their marketing ploy <laughs> failed from six years ago. It's phenomenal for Mike Oresco. And also, the funniest part of that is... When we would have, like, Craig Thompson on the show, Craig Thompson had no problem being like, yeah, we're in the group of yeah, five. he would say that. He used that phrase more than we did. Yeah. And, it's, and, you know, Mountain West and AAC have been the best two group of five conferences. Craig Thompson's like, yeah, we're in the group of five. We yeah. kind of suck. Not as bad as everybody, but we're right. not as good as the best. And Mike Oresco's like, it's a power six. Well, nobody believes you. Don't use the term power anymore. <laughs> That's mean. Since any give up in the locker room? No. Hell no. What kind of questions that, Phil? Kevin Durant will be reevaluated in two weeks. He hurt his ankle when he slipped during warmups before a game on Wednesday. Uh, this isn't good. So he could miss the rest of the regular might season. Might have that. Leg, the degenerate told us yesterday he read something. Might have that ligament, Jeez. which is not a good thing. And like you said, he was just going what in for a layup, and yeah. he. No one was around him. Nope. He just came down on it, and oh, that wasn't good. It wasn't even. It wasn't even coming down on it. It was as he was about to take off to jump. Oh, it wasn't okay. even landing. It was just him about to jump, and his ankle twisted, and now he could miss the rest of the regular oh. season. And then, obviously, the conversation is if he misses the rest of the regular yeah, season, what, is, what about the playoffs? Right. Presumably, he's going to play in the playoffs, but. How, how healthy he is he? Yeah, how healthy like, is he? Kevin, Dur- I mean, Kevin Durant on half of an ankle is probably still really good, but when you need to win the title, you, you probably need full strength yeah. Kevin Durant, and it's a fair question right now if they're actually going to have that. Yeah, it's a good question. Also an injury-related news, Luka Doncic, uh, his MRI was clean on his thigh, so he left a game on Wednesday due to a thigh injury. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski said the plan is for Doncic to return as soon as the discomfort goes away. The concerning part, I think, is that Luca, the last time he talked about his thigh injury, said it's something that's bothered him on and off throughout the season. Like chronic? Yeah. And he's like, it's not apparently not all the time, but just some of the time. And the, the thing that he said that was interesting is that normally it has bothered him when he gets hit on the thigh. Like there's some sort of contact there. But... The reason he left Wednesday's game, according to him, is that his thigh started bothering him when there wasn't contact. Like, it was just him moving around. And his MRI is good, so apparently there's no, whatever, structural damage, damage. Whatever the phrasing you want to use there. But I'm guessing when we get to the postseason, Luke is playing through a thigh injury. I mean, that's probably what's going to be happening here is they're going to get into the second round or who knows when and... His thigh's bothering him, and it's he's just got to play through it. And it's Kyrie Irving taking the last shot. Maybe of the that's game. why they're not good defensively. He's got thigh. I don't problems. think that's why they weren't really good before. <laughs> when his thigh was okay. Yeah, and then they got the guy who also it's doesn't play defense. And now that I'd have to go look at that stat again, see if they're still the worst defense in the NBA since, since they got since him. Kyrie came yeah. over. Ballot question for sure. Cal fired Mark Fox. Cal went three and twenty-nine this season, which is really bad. In four seasons at Cal, Mark Fox had no winning seasons. 
Matt Norlander tweeted out a potential replacement, 10 miles of San Jose State. How can you go from Mountain West Coach of the Year and again do this? That's when you should go, right? Yeah, you gotta cash in. Feel bad for him. Three gotta and, cash in. Three and twenty-nine. That's really bad. That is horrible. How, in I all honesty, on, I can't tell you who their players are, but three and twenty-nine. How does a power conference team go three and twenty-nine? Well, they're in the AAC. <laughs> so, like, what if they were in the AAC? Hey, these guys are bringing us down. They, they wouldn't make it very far out of that, but like. Three, three and twenty nine is really, really Brutal. bad. Like, because that's they won two conference games, which means they won one non conference game the entire which season. Is amazing given when you're you are a power five team, you usually a lot of them don't feel a need to play a lot of people because they're gonna you know get their get their quad one ones in their league. So I don't know who he played, but it'd be amazing to see what the preseason schedule is. So they, they did have a pretty difficult non-conference schedule. There's a handful of top 100 teams on here, but these are the non-top 100 teams that Cal played and lost they to. lost to. UC Davis. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> UC Davis, Texas State, Eastern Washington, oh. Butler, and oh, here's, the, okay. here's the worst one. Southern. Southern. Southern is one of the schools that will play That's just a direction that will play basically all of its non-conference games on the road to get money. Yeah, and buy games, and they'll yeah. they'll almost always like start the year like two and eleven yeah. or something like that, and then they start swag play. And Cal lost that game. Actually, looking at it right here, Southern played two home games in the non-conference. One was against a school called LSU Alexandria. That's not real. The That's other one school. was against Champion Christian, which sounds like a car dealership. Those are the two home games they played, and Cal lost to that team. At home, obviously. Yeah, at Cal. Yes, no doubt about it. And they paid them. Yeah, oh yeah, they, yeah, paid, they, they paid, paid Southern. They paid them to come. Oh yeah, that's one of those, we made up the athletic budget in one game, and we, st- and we also right. won the game, too. So, Mark Fox is gone, and maybe Tim Miles gets a uh, no... That would be what you happen to UNLV. You lose a coach to a better job without ever actually getting an NCAA tournament out of it. Could happen to San Jose State. Hold on. Spartans are still alive. That, uh, you're right. You've, that is Spartans a fair correction. They could make the NCAA they tournament this year. They could make the NCAA year. tournament this year. But he's definitely going to get a better job. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be kidding me, Derek. And Georgetown fired Patrick Ewing uh, yesterday. Uh, Georgetown went 7-25 and this season, which, again, is better than 3-29. and 13 and 50 over the last two years. Six years at Georgetown for Patrick Ewing. They did go to one NCAA tournament, but it was an as an automatic qualifier when they won the Big East tournament and they got in as a 12 seed to the NCAA tournament. Lost the first game, but really only one sign of success in six years for Patrick Ewing, and it was a automatic qualifier. Good run of the Big East tournament, but that's really the only thing they did. They did well. Are we still going to be able to play the bit about uh, when yes. you practice that shot? Yes. Even though he's been fired? Yes, it's one of the best, my okay. favorite sounds ever. All right. Step back one-legged. What kind of shot is that? Have you ever shot that shot? Do you work on that shot? That's good coaching to me. I'm surprised they were that bad because that's great coaching. The uh, best, the best part that's left out is the guy nodding at. Yes. Do you practice that shot? And him going win. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing in the front page for you. Yesterday, I gave you the story about a dog running on the field during a Concacaf Champions League game in El Salvador. There is a video that has been posted from somebody that was in the crowd 
of the dog before it ran on the field. The dog is kind of like in the in the seats to some degree, and somebody working security opens a gate for the dog, for the to, dog run to run onto the, the field. And have then we, the dog runs on the field. Have we seen the security guard since? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, like, I don't know what his goal was. Maybe he was trying to get the dog out of the crowd, and so he was like, all right, so come in here. But in here is the state, is the, the field. field. I have no idea what he was doing, but the dog is not to blame. The dog was just no. The dog's okay. Like rummaging said, around. Security guard, we're not sure. The security guard was like, "All right, yeah, come in here with me." And gave he but he opens the gate and gives no effort to like grab him. It's not like, "Oh, I'll get you and take you out of here." He it's just, just opens the gate and the dog walks in and is like, oh, "I'm on the field," and then goes and gets the ball. It was great, but I don't know what that security guard's doing. What the El Salvadoran security guard's doing? Just hey, yeah, let the dog on. We need some help killing this game off. Get on the field, dog. <laughs> Coming up next on ESPN, Las Vegas will jump back into some NFL. Jack Eichel in the slot, drifting, opening up to the middle. He shoots, and it's a loose puck. It's in the goal. Alec Martinez dives in to poke it through. Vegas wins 4-3 in overtime. It leaked through Vasilevsky, twisting like a top in the crease. Martinez desperately dove toward the goal line, jams it across. Vegas wins 4-3. What a hockey game. Text Granny and Bischoff at 69187 with the word ESPN. It was a good hockey game. Hockey's dumb, though. Great sport for being dumb. Uh, but in the meantime, we talk about some NFL. Because first off, Deshaun Reed of The Athletic wrote this story about the Raiders and why they are not going to pursue Lamar Jackson. And Deshaun Reed wrote... Browns owner Jimmy Haslam had to immediately cut Deshaun Watson a check for over $44.9 million and place all of the remaining $185 million in cash into an escrow mm -hmm. account. Now that is Deshaun Watson who signed a $230 million fully guaranteed contract. Deshaun Reed continued, Mark Davis hasn't shown he's capable of or willing to do that. Cash flow has been an issue for the Raiders when it comes to both re-signing and signing players. The Raiders signed Devontae Adams, Derek Carr, Max Crosby, Hunter Renfro, Chandler Jones, and Darren Waller to contracts that totaled $489.8 million, but only about $139.9 million of that was guaranteed at signing, and even that money wasn't uh, shelved out all at once. It was spread out over the course of several months. So he just doesn't have the cash to put in escrow. It would appear so. And it would appear that even when he did sign some big-time names like Devontae Adams, Max Crosby, Chandler even those Jones, guys who got the Carr. money, they spread out the guaranteed money over, over a few sure. months right. as opposed to here it is. Because with Deshaun Watson, right? If we're, that's obviously where Lamar Jackson's comparing what his Himself contract should to, be. Right. It was basically a $45 million signing bonus. Like, you sign, here is $45 million the second you sign, and then everything else we guaranteed you, we have to have on hand. Right. I, think it, I think it's not all of it. I think it's like 75% of it or something. You don't have to have all of the guaranteed money, but you've got to have a big chunk of it. And effectively, what Deshaun Reed is writing here is that Mark Davis hasn't ever shown he can do that or that he wants to do that. One of the two. But basically... The Raiders owner doesn't have enough cash to get Lamar Jackson. 
I vaguely recall a similar story when they were trying, like, trying to work out something with Khalil Mack was that they didn't have the money to put the money into escrow. To to do it, I think, both for Carr and Mack. Yeah, they basically had to go, all right, uh, who... Choose one. Yeah, who do we like? Yeah, choose one. Didn't he... How much did Khalil Mack get? Did he get $90 million guaranteed when he signed with the Bears? That sounds right. Okay. I just Googled it. It's right. That's okay. I was thinking it was going to be a lot less fully guaranteed to Mac, but if it was $90 million, that makes a little bit more sense. And this is where I will make this point because, unfortunately, I just realized it, and I've said it before. We pick our sports teams when we're 12. We pick them on stupid things, but the most important thing about your favorite sports team is always going to be the owner. Because that's the thing that doesn't change. Coaches change, players change, front office change. The ownership rarely changes. And the unfortunate part is you could be a fan of a team who could get Lamar Jackson, but the owner just can't do it. Doesn't have the money. Yeah, which is unfortunate. People people make like bad decisions, right? You, you miss on a draft pick. You miss on a free agent signing. It's going to happen to every team. The unfortunate part is when you hear, oh, our owner can't do it. Right. It's very comparable to baseball where owners actually can do it. But, but when they choose not to. When the Reds and the Pirates and the A's the are A's, like, Las Vegas A's. Like, we're not going to spend any money. Right. Why would we do that? That's as disheartening as it gets if you're a fan. Not it's You'll you'll figure it out if your manager or coach sucks. You'll figure it out if your front office is bad. If right? team stinks. Because those guys will get fired. The players yeah. are going to turn over. The coach is going to turn over. But when the ownership is unwilling or unable to spend money in any sport to try to be and competitive, usually change. Yeah, your owner's going to be there for a very, very long time. Even the ones that are clearly supposed to be gone, Dan Snyder, they don't They're go away. There. They don't go away. <laughs> Somehow I'm he's tra- still there. I'm going to sell the team two months later. I'm not selling the team. <laughs> no one will give me what I want. Nine hundred million dollars. I might sell the team, but you guys have to guarantee I can't get in trouble for right. all of the bad right. crap and that I did. And by the way, I want nine hundred billion dollars. <laughs> You guys have to talk to Congress for me and I, ensure that they aren't going to send me to jail. Did I make my own team pay me $5 million to use my private jet? Yes. Yes. But you don't have to. I cannot get in trouble for that. Otherwise, it's my team forever and ever. Another fun story about the Raiders. David Carr finally went on that Harvester Sports podcast, which is hosted by his nephew. He's, yeah, by the uh, family. The, by the family members. And... One of the, he said a couple of interesting things, but one of the most interesting things was that David Carr was very upset because the Raiders did not add to their offensive line, which we talked about it all offseason last year. Yeah, it was beaten to death. It was stunning that they didn't add to their offensive line. We thought they were going to, and they just never did. But the funny part of it is that David Carr on this podcast said that he told Dave Ziegler They need to get a right tackle and even told them which right tackle they need to go get and that David Carr was offended because the Raiders did not go get a right tackle. Who does he think he is? He thinks he had control over the the roster. Yes. He thought he was like assistant GM David Carr was here to be like, yeah, you got to go get this right tackle here. I I work. I negotiated the contract for you. You just got to sign it now. Poor Jermaine (laughs) Eliminore. He's the. Was the right tackle. Yeah, poor guy. <laughs> he actually tweeted about this the other day. Did I'm he? Not, yeah, I'm not offended. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> the brother of the quarterback who has nothing to do with the team came in and said, you should be gone? I mean, to be fair, I think you're better off if David Carr says something. If it's again, if it's negative against you, you're probably doing something right. Like, if David Carr's one of those people right. that, like, if he says something and you're on the opposite He's side. Like, okay, we'll do what we're doing. You're in a good spot, uh, if that's the case. 
The other thing he said on this podcast was talking about Derek Carr and the possibility of him getting traded to New Orleans right before the deadline when the Raiders released him. And David Carr said, he was like, well, it wouldn't make any sense for Carr to, for, for Derek to agree to a trade because then he's going to a team and the team he just went to had to give up an asset to get him. And David Carr said, I wouldn't allow him to do that. David Carr's like the patriarch. So if Derek Carr had he, thought... He has a Super Bowl ring. <laughs> <laughs> if Derek Carr had thought... Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll accept a trade to the Saints like that. They've offered me a contract. I like this. Like, and they end up going there anyways. But he was like, if Derek Carr had said, "Yeah, I'll accept a trade to the Saints," David, David Carr, Carr said, said no, you're not. he would not have allowed that to happen. <laughs> it's making more and more sense with this David Carr person. Derek Carr needs so badly to pull at Aaron Rodgers and cut his family off. <laughs> yes, like he needs it. No, just cut him out. Just be like, my family. I don't have one. Yeah, we got the same last name and he's on TV. Right. Don't have, don't know, don't talk to him anymore. Because I swear, like if I was a team, if you're the Saints right now and you're like, oh, so I'm the GM and if I don't build the perfect team around Derek Carr, David, David Carr, Carr is going to go on NFL Network or this Harvester Sports <laughs> podcast and be like, I told him to add a player. I gave him the contact and everything. And you're like, yeah, calm down, David. Let's relax over there. I love that he gave me the specific player to sign. That's not right. That, not that you have to sign a right tackle. I want this guy. Yes. I want this guy over here. Yes, we need this guy. This is the player that we need. So I wouldn't want him. And I look forward to uh, Derek Carr predicting Dave or David Carr predicting Derek Carr to win the NFC win the South, MVP, win, win the, MVP. the MVP, and win the Super yes, Bowl because exactly. it's going to happen. Coming up next, Jerry ESPN Las Vegas. Sam Gordon joins the show. And you think you know who I am? You see a few posts. Oh, Kai's woke. Kai got it. Oh, oh, Kai is, oh my goodness, he just, he just doesn't fit into the mold of all of the other people. And then, man, he's different. He's crazy. He's arrogant. He's this. He's that. He's this. All from seeing me from three hours. Graney and Bischoff are back on the press box. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Sam Gordon. Good morning, Sam. Sammy. Gentlemen, good morning. Happy Friday. How you guys doing? Good. good. Uh, we're going to start with the good UNLV basketball team. What seed do you think the Lady Rebels get in the NCAA tournament? Um, great question, Tyler. I think probably it looks like they're probably going to get a 12. I mean, the, the, the bracketology uh, projections have been pretty consistent with that throughout the course of the season. And uh, for me, I think that's kind of more so a reflection of strength of schedule and the lack of competition they really faced in the Mountain West. I, I wrote after the, the championship game Wednesday, you know, I, I advocated for them. I, I think there's a case for them to be a 9 or a 10 seed. You look at there's a couple other mid-majors, Gonzaga being one of them that didn't win their conference tournament, that didn't go undefeated in league play, uh, what WCC also being a one-bid one league. Middle Tennessee as well, um, playing not in as good, you know, that's a one-bid league, the league that they're in. But both those teams played stronger non-conference schedules than the Lady Rebels and, and both captured victories over Louisville, then, you know, a top-ten program in the country, now uh, kind of a middle-of-the-pack ACC team after we saw how that the whole thing shook out. So uh, I think this team has pedigree. I mean, they played as a 13 seed. They played a defending national runner-up, Arizona. The four-seed Arizona Wildcats, pretty pretty tough last year and brought back a majority of the production. I think what they accomplished in the regular season, uh, how far and away, how much better they were than, than their peers in the Mountain West. Uh, certainly I think you can make a case for them having a higher seed, but the reality is right now they're pegged to be a 12 seed. That's been pretty consistent. 
and the messaging seems to be that in order as a mid in order for a mid major program to to be a higher seed, uh, regardless of what you do in league play, you have to have you have to play a better non conference schedule. So as good as the Lady Rebels are, um, it looks like they're going to be a twelve. I do think they can win a game uh, from that position, uh, depending on what the matchup is, and then and then we'll see from there. But it was an absolutely historic season. Uh, they they won every kind of way this year. They won close. They won big. Uh, I think we saw the experience, the cohesion, the chemistry that they developed last season play out throughout the course of the Mountain West tournament, and now we wait for Sunday. Uh, do you think Lindy LaRock is here for the long term? Oh, geez, great question. Um, do I, how would you classify long term? Uh, for the next decade or so, I would say that's unlikely. Uh, I also think, you know, she's building something here. She might want to see this through. For the next couple of years. With, with that being said, um, I'm certain she'll have no shortage of uh, programs around the country with vacancies. They would be silly not to call her and at least at least see what those conversations are sounding like. And and you know, I know she did the extension with UNLV, but it might be time to rip that thing up. I don't know. You know, of course, the the, the Power Five budgets uh, are going to be a lot higher, but it, it feels like. You can build something that, that Lindy LaRock is, you know, for as long as she's going to be here. And again, I'm not—I don't want to speak like it's a foregone conclusion that she's going to ever leave at any point. That's ultimately a decision that she's going to have to make. She has the hometown ties here, and you know, maybe there is a world where this is, becomes a destination program. It's, cer- it's certainly seeming to start to feel that way uh, on the mid-major level. But with that being said, um, at the very least, I feel like this off-season will be a chance for her to, to maybe use some of that leverage she's going to get. From, from the high major interest in, the, in the getting a bigger deal. And, you know, it might be time. I, I know that she just signed the extension last year, but it might be time for, for UNLV to start thinking about uh, renegotiating that because you do, you, she's obviously somebody you'd want to keep here uh, as long as possible with the momentum that they're building on the women's side. What was the most impressive part about how they played this season to you? Um, I just think just the – you, it really felt like a group that that played with a ton of chemistry and a, with a ton of trust in one another, and that's you know there's merit to to building something cohesive, to you know piecing something together, you know piecing something together with the transfer portal, but also relying and on, on and developing you know younger players, and, and she's done both of those. I think it's been kind of a perfect blend the way she's built the program with transfers and then also with high school recruits uh, that she's developed, and, and having a chance to develop some cohesion the last few years. I think you really saw that play out in times where they were, you know, kind of punched in the mouth and had to play close games. Uh, the experience that they were able to draw from last year really, I think, shined through in those big spots, including in the Mount West, you know, the Mount West tournament just a, just a few days ago uh, against the San Diego State team that that gave them everything that they had. So uh, that, to me, I think just kind of the, the experience that they had and how they used that experience uh, and their chemistry to win to win close games. I mean, twenty-two, you know, obviously the twenty-two. You know, game-winning streak, I think, speaks for itself. That's hard to do at any level. It's hard to do in any conference, in any league, regardless of the talent or regardless of the disparity uh, in talent, to not have one off night or to not, you know, relax one night or to not not feel like showing up on a Tuesday night or, a, you know, a random Saturday afternoon. Like, that's really hard to do. And I think the, the, the focus that they had was because of, of the experience and because of the understanding of what this group was capable of accomplishing, and lo and behold, you know, four, one of four programs in the country, at least as of a couple of days ago, um, with 30 victories, the 2022 game winning streak is the second longest uh, in the country. Just a historical season, uh, any way you want to slice it up, uh, and they did it by playing team basketball, by sharing the ball, by trusting one another. It's all super cliche stuff, but 
Like, it's stuff that matters, Tyler, I think, at, at, at every level um, when it comes to, to, to having successful basketball and winning. Uh, and they, they, have, they embody that all year, especially in moments when they were tested in, in moments in crisis. How does Kevin Kruger get that cohesion? Um, yeah, I, I think you got to – I know um, you wanted experience, and he wanted to build an experienced roster. And I think at the end of the, the year you had five – or at the end of the game yesterday, you had you know five seniors out there. But if you do want to go to the transfer portal route, maybe guys that that are sophomores or or have three, you know three or four year, three two or three years of eligibility left, and then uh, you got to develop your high school players. The, the high school players that do come in, I think we saw that with Keyshawn Gilbert. Uh, we saw certainly step you know step from freshman year to sophomore year. But but we but in terms of everybody else that they brought in, I don't know if you saw a lot of player development. Right, I think player development is a super important. Uh, part of building any program, and, and I think we saw the struggles now two years in a row of trying to piece something together with transfers that are only going to be there for the short term. So, uh, again, not, not saying to go away from the transfer portal. It's, it's a necessity, especially, I think, for a mid-major program in UNLV in 2023 to work the transfer portal, to be strategic about the transfer portal. Uh, but it, it hasn't been successful these last couple of years just kind of piecing together a roster with, with strictly transfers. So I, I don't think you're going to necessarily solve the cohesion thing uh, in one off season, but I am curious to see if he's going to go a little younger uh, in the transfer portal this year, and, and then maybe if there's going to be a different emphasis um, in high school recruiting. And it's tough, Ed, because if you develop a good high school player uh, and you're a mid-major program like UNLV, who's to say that that, that player isn't just going to leave in two years and go get a bigger payday, you know, with with NIL at, at a Power Five? So it's, I'm not saying it's an easy job that he steps into. If anything, I think it's you know kind of. Uh, I don't want to say impossible. That's not the right word, but close to it. Just kind of given given what he inherited, a, a program, a, a, a rudderless program, uh, with a tepid fan base now at, at this stage in the NIL and transfer portal era. It's it's things that coaches across the country, at high majors with with big booster bases and big money behind them, are struggling with. So it's not necessarily a surprise that things haven't gone super smooth these these first two years. Uh, for Kevin, but I do think again that you, you maybe you go the JUCO route, you know, kind of like UNLV used to. You find JUCO guys, you find transfers that intend on being here for maybe two or three years, and you find the right high school recruits that can develop and can fit in with with some of the older players. Does he have the time, basically, to sort of sell everybody on? Yeah, let's develop guys for a year or two before we really take off. Or is year three for Kevin Kruger going to be an NCAA tournament or you're fired type of season? I, I, my sense is the, the latter, Tyler. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know if that would be my disposition personally, but the reality is, is that there are still, regardless of if they're fair or unfair, there are still expectations um, that this program has, that this community has for this program here in 2023, even though largely on a national level, it has been irrelevant for 30 years. Uh, I think there still is this yearning to get back to where things were, at least get back to a, a relatively respectable level or things were at where when Kevin's dad, um, was in charge, but uh, yeah, I, I just think it's the rea- reality is, is you know, kind of like I said, this isn't this isn't a, a great situation a- anymore in, in 2023. Um, so I do think there's a lot, an enormous amount of pressure uh, on Kevin Kruger to to, um, to to win this year. Now, I will say this: uh, if you can land Deion Thomas Jr., I don't know exactly where things stand at with his recruitment at, at this stage in time. Or we do know that the Rebels are a finalist, and, and we, of course, know you know the legacy part that comes with, 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 you know, with him and his dad being a former Rebel. But we also know he has interest from UCLA and Gonzaga and Houston and Florida, all programs that also have 
rich history and culture, right, with national championship kind of programs, uh, but that are just much better, much better suited in 2024. So um, that, that would be, I think, if, if you can get a commitment from him, I think you can kind of sell uh, certainly the fan base here and maybe administration on, on hey, okay, there's progress here uh, and, and there is a little bit more of a long-term vision. But um, just kind of with, with how things have gone this season or the last couple seasons, certainly this year being under 500 in the Mountain West and then losing in the quarterfinals again, uh, I do think we're going to see the heat, the, 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 the fire turned up a little bit in 2023-24. I'm not saying it's fair. I'm not saying it's necessarily you know right from my personal opinion, but this is the reality uh, of where you're at uh, going into this offseason. So it's a crucial offseason. Uh, for Kevin Kruger and 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 you know the 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 winning immediately with transfers thing right like that that hasn't worked so far I, I don't know if it's not getting the right players if it's if it's w- what exactly it is I think it's a confluence of factors um, but it, it it the reality is that it hasn't worked so there has to be I think it's just not a it's not going to be a quick fix here um, there has to be I think some level of patience involved or some level of patience involved. Because I don't think there's any coach in America that's just going to come in and get this thing humming in two years. I just think we're, with where you're at right now with Transfer Portal, with NIL, and with, again, the reality that this is a mid-major program, this is a mid-major job, it's not a great job anymore, and that for any coach that does come in has this ghost of Jerry Tarkanian from 30 years ago looming in this city and hanging over, hanging over whoever would come in. Um, it, it's just not a great position to be in. So, yeah, to answer your question, I do think it's, a, it's an NCAA tournament or bust kind of year um, going into this offseason. I don't know if that's necessarily fair, but um, that's, I think, where we're at after two years of the Kevin Kruger era. Well, he is Sam Gordon from the Review Journal. Sam, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate you guys. Take care. Have a great weekend. You too. So there's Sam Gordon on the Lady Rebels and the Running Rebels. Uh, I will say one uh, point. Probably isn't the greatest thing for Kevin Kruger that Lindy LaRock has built a two-year powerhouse in the (laughs) women's side. Where, hey, what happened? The women are the greatest team in the history of the conference. And eh, two years and you haven't accomplished much of anything. Eh, not the greatest comparison for you. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, we'll jump into some baseball. Stop giving standing ovations. I'm giving standing ovations for the comeback last night. And now with three seconds, Gable throw it ahead to Jaron Holmes, and that will do it. And Iowa State sweeps Baylor and advances to the semifinals of the Big 12 tournament with a 78-72 win. Back to the Finley Toyota Studios for Granny and Bischoff on the press box. Is Iowa State undefeated since kicking Caleb Grill off the team? They were not playing well when he was on the team. They they lost like five or six in a row, so maybe that's true. Yeah, four in a row a and win. four in a row and six of seven is what they had lost. And then I think they kicked them off, and now they've won two in a row. Now, granted, both of those wins have been against Baylor. So they've only well, beaten one team in the last. It's not the NCAA tournament, so I'm not flying the flag just yet. Oh, that's right. You got to get the flag out. NCAA tournament time, game mm-hmm. day, the flag will be out. The flag will be as long as they don't long. play Iowa State. They might be. Yeah, okay. they might win a game actually they if they don't play Iowa State. Zero three against Iowa State this year. It's not very good. Otzelberger's got Baylor's number apparently. Did he? I'm trying to think about Otzelberger um, here. It was just the quarters then, right? How many times? How many? How many years was Osleberger here? Two, two years, two, two quarterfinal appearances. Quarters? Yep, they got in the four-five matchup in his second or first year. So they didn't have a play-in. No, they avoided the play-in, but they lost the quarterfinal in his first year. Second year, they were in the play-in, beat Air Force, and then lost in the sem or in the quarters. I can't remember who they yeah. lost to, but they are again have not been in the semis since 2014. Last 
eight years, they are 4-0 against Air Force in the Mountain West tournament, 0-8 against everybody else. And those four wins against Air Force, three of them have come in overtime. Okay, that's a stat I did not know. Three of them in overtime. Because Joe Scott was saying the other day, and maybe it wasn't against UNLV, that two years they got obliterated. He said last year they got obliterated, and this year they've actually shown some progress. Yeah. So I'm not. They couldn't if they were that close with UNLV. I don't think any of those. Last year, were. last year they did not play Air Force. No, because they played Wyoming. Right. In a in play-in. The, in, no, that was the four-five matchup. So that was a that was okay. a quarterfinal. Uh, but yeah. So for eight seasons, UNLV's only beaten one team in the Mountain West tournament. It's Air Force, and three of the four times they've done it have been overtime. One of those, I don't know if you remember this. One of those was a triple overtime game in the year that Dave Rice got fired and Todd Simon was the interim. Okay. They went to triple overtime in the play-in round of the Mountain West tournament and beat Air Force. And if I remember correctly, that team, by the time they got to the NCAA tournament, they were beat up pretty badly. Like, they were down to, like, eight scholarship guys or something like that and had to play a triple overtime game. And if I also remember correctly, that year, there were a lot of complaints because that game delayed everything, and that's the same day the women's championship game is played. Yes, and I think it got delayed because those two damn teams played in the triple overtime in a like six eleven matchup in the Mountain West tournament. So yeah, it happens. As long as they get yeah. Air Force, they're in good shape. Well, if they we, could play Air Force four times in four days, they might win the Mountain West tournament. Uh, here we go, four and four days. They might do it if they got Air Force four straight times. I'm clapping. When we had the Air Force coach on, I'm surprised he didn't have more vitriol for like for UNLV like. I'd be the, I'd be the best worst team in this conference if it weren't for these jerks. Well, see, the problem for Air Force is they don't only lose to UNLV. No, like they lose to everybody. Actually, I'm trying to find the last time they won a conference tournament game was the COVID year in 2020, and it was Fresno State. Like they, it's not like they just lose to everybody. It just happens that they play UNLV more often. But like Utah State's gotten them, San Diego State's gotten them, had, Colorado State's gotten them. I remember when they had a great team that one year. They actually played Carolina in the NCAA tournament. How was Air Force good? Fundamentals. Joe Scott Culture. took them to the NCAA tournament. They were twenty-two yeah. and seven, and then two years later they went again. I think with Chris Moody they went and played Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe that was Joe Scott, but they were good. They were uh, really good. It was the Joe Scott team. They, they went got to play yeah, Carolina. Got an eleven seed and went to play Carolina. How? This is a special year of cadets. How was Air Force actually a legitimate? Like, it's, they had a three-year run where they went twenty-two and seven, made the NCAA tournament, eighteen and twelve, and then twenty-four and seven, made the NCAA tournament. How is that even possible? I remember those teams. I, remember, and then, I do remember the. Did Carolina they team. win the conference? No. Yeah, I th- no, I think the year they won the uh, they won. Oh, they won the conference tournament. Yeah. God. All right, they were twentieth in Ken Palm one year and didn't get in the NCAA tournament. What happened there? I don't know. That's not good news for Utah State. It is not. What are they, 15 right now? They're 15 in net. Uh, they're still in the 20s in Ken Palm. Okay. But you, uh, Utah State has jumped to 15 in net. <laughs> if they, In all honesty, they play Boise State tonight. tonight. It's a quad one game for both teams. It's a quad one game. If Utah State were to beat Boise State by, like, let's just say 12 tonight. That could theoretically jump them to like 10. In the net. In the net. There is a legitimate chance a bubble team is top 10 in net. 
if they well if they win they're not a bubble team anymore but like if they beat boise state by double digits and then let's say they lose to san diego state by like one there's a legitimate chance they're like 10th in the net and we're taught their net's going to be higher than their seed yeah yes (laughs) like (laughs) their seed's going to be a 12 their net's going to be a nine and like the net ranking is not when the committee sits down, they don't just look oh, at the net yeah. and say, your net matters more than anything no. else. But, but it, it is matters. one of the tools it's they matters. use. And theirs is going to be so ridiculously good, it's hilarious that they're on the bubble. Hilarious. Now, granted, if they beat Boise State tonight, it'll be the first quad one win of the season. Yeah, they don't have a quad one no. win. No, they've only played, I think, That's what, three or four. I mean, is that what's holding them back 100%. Here? The last oh, four in? Absolutely. If they could trade, if they could trade, hey, we beat UNLV by 25, if they traded that lost UNLV, but beat San Diego State at one point this year, they'd be great. They'd be in. Yeah, they'd have their one... Quad one win. Yeah, and they'd be good to go. So, yeah, it is what it is. But, man, if the Mountain West has a top 15 team in net that doesn't make the NCAA tournament, oh, we're going to hear it from every coach for the rest of time. Two-point favorites. Utah State is? Yeah. San Diego State, eight and a half against San Jose. Uh, Yeah, overtime's not good for Boise State. You can't go to overtime against UNLV. You got to play again the next day. Yeah, you got to got to get off those feet. And then if you win, you got to play again the next day. And you go, you got the nine nine p.m. Oh, and to then you have to be on that court by like one p.m. for a three time p.m. game. Yeah, one thirty. Massive turnaround for you. So Boise State really blew it last night.